0: Welcome to Lectionary Call, in for Tuesday, November 14th, 2023, where laypersons and pastors gather every week at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time from wherever we may be to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is November 19th, and we're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year A. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader, and then in this podcast we share question, and challenge each other. And this week, with our friend John Debevoise, the Senior Pastor of Palmasia Presbyterian Church, our guest, but also Palmasia is the producer of this program. They make this possible, so it's a special treat to have John with us today as Bill Hull travels, and we look forward to having Bill Hull back in the near future. More on all that in a moment, but first, here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. I'm John Debevoise.
1: Sarah Mickelson in Tampa.
0: I'm Don Upton. I'm in Washington, D.C. today. And our leader for this discussion is Sarah Mickelson, and she's going to set up the scripture reading for us and lead us through some formative
1: questions. Hello, my friend. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. I'm on the mend, I should say. I've been fighting. Um, we are continuing our study in the book of Matthew, looking at Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, um, Moving us toward a conversation that we'll have likely next week, if we're lucky, um, about sheep and goats. So here we are with Matthew verses, um, excuse me, Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. And John is going to start us off by reading the half of the passage, and I'm going to finish it by reading the back half. So John,
2: here it is, to you. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves, and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. At once, the one who had received the five talents went off and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents
1: said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And then to the one who had received one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But The master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, I lost my place, um, you knew, did you, that I reap where I do not, did not sow, and I gather where I did not scatter, then you ought to have invested my money in, with the bankers, and on my return I would have at least received what my, was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For, all, for to all those who have more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from them who have nothing, even what they have will be taken. For as, as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a difficult reading. Um, have you ever been a person who chose not to take action because you were afraid? That's what, what are my thoughts this week as I was reading this. Um, I, I am related to, and, and have on occasion, been a timid person. I know that will surprise some of you, um, but I have, on occasion, been reticent to take action because I was fearful that I would choose poorly. So my questions this week stem into that kind of thinking. What, and this is my first question, and I'm coming to Don Upton with this, what is a talent in this story, and what might that talent mean in today's terms? And is it only a wage? Don, what do you think?
0: Well, thank you for bringing up, you know, running away or not participating. I, the word I use for it is evasion, and I think evasion is in everyone's heart. And because of what I get to do for a living, it's something we have to, we have to address with each other, no matter what the challenge is, uh, the, the desire the desire to stand down or escape is in all of us. It's the beginning. It's, in a, it's a confession or admission that sometimes I find is helpful for all of us to make to each other. Uh, so I think as a town, this case is directly connected to imagination. Um, imagination like if you say to a child, let's say uh, in the third grade, I have a bottle of vinegar what is this it's a bottle of vinegar what did it cost well i think you paid 69 cents for it what is it tomorrow it's a bottle of vinegar And if you say to a fourth grader a third grader what is this and they, they say it's a they say what's well, a box of baking soda what is it they go, it cost a dollar fifty and what will it be tomorrow a bottle of baking soda. even the child will go yes but it's also a volcano it's a volcano it's magma you know they have the imagination to know you put the chemistry together, so I think it's about imagination in three parts. The first is uh the present state of something As in this case, it's the talent it has a value, it's a fixed object, and it's seated in time, and if you don't touch it, it is what it is and I think the beginning is to start thinking about a stated seated object that has nothing to do with a human being. There's no human being in it. It's creation of God, but it is what it is, what it is. The rock on top of the mountain has been there a million years, and it will be there in another million years. Why isn't it at the bottom? Because you didn't have the imagination to push it down hill and use gravity. The second part is the physics lesson in this, uh, and I think it works for everybody. As you apply friction, electricity, tension, uh, a cap- theory of capital the investment to it, uh, you apply force to something, and the change can take place. And I, I think there we are on the earth, and it's science, all is in here as well. What is this? It's a coin. Was it tomorrow? It's a coin. Maybe not. And the recent, uh, I guess in the last two weeks, we read the story of the, uh, of the, the, the denarius in the temple. You know, what is this? Well, it, it was mined. It probably was silver, and it was in the earth, and it was transformed to become that. So this is a god of change, a god of transformation, a god of, trans, of, of possibilities. So in its present state, and here's the imagination, it's actually not recognizable what it could be. In this case, we're doing economics and so the ripple effect of investments. But what is it today and what can it be tomorrow? And I think there's a real promise in this, that uh, if, if we understand that everything on the earth, all things are created by God, that goes along with the potentiality of, the, of what a human being can do when they test something. If a human being uses their imagination, if we recognize that we are stewards it's not at all what it was, what it appeared to be. So I would I wrap up by going, a bottle of ink. Let's say it's you know 400 years ago. A bottle of ink. What is that worth? It's worth tuppence. What is this? It's a quill. What is that? Christopher Marlowe, William Shakespeare. That those two things have nothing to do with the joy I have in reading Twelfth Night. Nothing at all. What is this? This is a dictionary. What is that? That is a novel. What is the relationship between the two things? What is this, teacher, Jesus? These are the scriptures. These are the promises of God. What is it now? I will, I will make all things new. That's what I've got here.
1: Oh, good thinking, Don. I also like the idea that pen and ink can be put to paper and bring you feelings and love, love words from afar. So big. Yeah. I'm thinking about that. John, what are your thoughts about this? Um, What is the talent in this story and what might it mean as a, what might a talent mean in today's terms? And is it only a wage?
2: It's a multi-layered moment in terms of words on paper or Words on scroll or papyrus, either one, isn't it? It's it's interesting to think about. Um, When Jesus tells the story, a word is used. Jesus said something after being in the temple and before the Last Supper here. This is where this text comes from. He's entered Jerusalem. He's been in the temple teaching. He's received questions from the Pharisees and the priests and the scribes. Now he's outside of that. He's talking to his disciples, and they're headed towards, in Matthew's memory of Jesus, the Last Supper and the Crucifixion, and then, of course, the Resurrection. So it's, a, it's like a Tuesday story <laughs> in Holy Week. And Matthew remembers this. And it's one of three parables here that he tells all about waiting uh, at this point, the, the bridesmaids from last week, the talents, and the sheep and the goats ahead of us. Um, and um, so Matthew remembers that. So that's one movement of the word, Alan, from whatever Jesus said to what Matthew remembers. And um, and Matthew records it. And then that's translated. There's a third movement from what Matthew wrote to um, what gets translated into English. So I think when Jesus tells the story... If you can deduce that from what Matthew wrote that's been translated into English, he meant an economic term. Um, But I think, and so it comes out with the word talent. It's interesting to see over time how um, language scholars vary on translating the financial amount of this. I I think it's about recalculating for today's um, inflation and interest about $10,000 but it looks to me like scholars have varied from 1000 to 50000 in terms of the value of a talent, um, which is just to say it's not easy to calculate a sum of money, you know, from 2,023 years ago and get it <laughs> into whatever the modern equivalent would be, given interest rates and things like that. But I think the sum, I think it's a financial sum, and I think it's meant to represent a lot, you know, that, that one talent. It, was not, it wasn't like he gave him a dollar, you know, and told him to bury it. It's a, it's a significant, even the one talent is a significant uh, sum of money. But even, even when the story is told and then written down, I think that that, that use of an economic specific amount of money, of wage, um, was, and it's in English, because the word gets translated into talent, readers hearing it, um, English readers, it, it's not uncommon for them to think that the text is talking about some specific ability or created gift. Uh, and um, that's not what's said in the text. You know, that's, that's a mishearing of what they meant using the word talent as an old English description of this economic term. But I do think that that expansion of the possibility and talent that Don illustrated so beautifully with, you know, uh, Marlowe's uh, Texan and Penn and Shakespeare's Twelfth Night coming from Penn to work, that, that, that that's what the story is meant to evoke. I don't think that this parable is just about what we do with a financial sum. I think the parable is meant to look at our stewardship of all things that come under our stewardship. Um, each minute in the day that we live, but um, I, I I think well, though at, at the tail end of this, then we have a tendency in Western first world countries, and maybe in particularly in Christian community in Western first world countries, <laughs> to say, oh, this isn't really about money. This is about all of our gifts. And so there's kind of a denial there. <laughs> no, it, it, it comes back to it. No, this is about money uh, as well as all of our different gifts. Uh, and, and that's true, too, isn't it? That we, it's not just about our creative gifts, but it's also about the funds that we're responsible for. You
1: know, that's what I'm thinking, too, that this this is more than – I mean, the the language I I read was a a talent would be equivalent to the the lifetime amount of money a person would be paid. If a denarius was a daily wage, then a talent would be an annual volume of money. Um, Yeah, which for me is a considerable amount of money for, for anyone. And then to multiply that. in in the denominations that this particular parable gives us. And I agree with you. I think it gets to that place where it's more money than I can imagine. And I thought about talents also being opportunity, opportunity to engage, opportunity to um, make something into something more. I mean, this weekend, a conversation was had Um, We wrapped up our stewardship campaign at church, and one of the conversations we had was that the whole is more than some of its parts because people working together dynamically shift a picture or take action and and are able to bring to bear imagination, strength, determination, all those things, and can do something more significant together than they could as individuals. So I'm thinking about a lifetime of opportunity. I'm thinking about engagements as far as the relationships that are struck with people. You build relationships to to do something. Um, I'm thinking about wages. I'm thinking about imagination. I'm thinking about all those things that are a part of the story when it comes to what it looks like in terms of talents. Um, I'm going to come back to the idea of fear eventually, but um, question number two, since the talents might be a lifetime of opportunity, engagement, wages, and since these talents truly belong to the giver and are gifted or surrendered to each receiver, What does this parable tell us about the relationship between the giver and the receiver? What do you think, John?
2: I think that's uh, um, a great question. Do, Do we think, I'm going to restate it, do we think, can we peer back through our hearing the English translation, you know, from the 20th century? We're reading the NRSV. The English translation from the 20th century. Can we peer back through that, or even more appropriate, listen back through that, all the way back to Jesus telling the story? And can do we think that Jesus, in telling it, meant to use a term, okay, of a, a lifetime of wage, that would evoke the the journey of one's life, the stewardship of all of the moments in one's life? Is that intentional? Then. And if you know if i uh, get a vote on that, I'd say i think it is um i i, I think it's it's too specific um a a use of, of a phrase in the story um to, that that it, it, it's meant to evoke a lifetime of wage. It's also a large sum of money as opposed to a little sum of money um which changes the nature of the story you know. I might let my grandchildren have fun managing $5, maybe even, you know, if they were working as a team, 10, but I'd never give them $50,000 to manage. So I think it is intentional.
1: What do you think, John? I mean, Don, do you, what what does this particular part of the conversation tell us about the relationship between the giver and the receiver?
0: I think a, a reminder, uh, which is re- reflected beyond this into the letters of uh, all things are gods, all things created by God uh, through God, all that. It's almost like that's what many people would read before they read the story of the uh, denarius and the temple. Remember in the beginning, I think, I think that has to over, over shape that. Uh, Sarah, you've got me thinking about th- that relationship. And I think there's a, that we all have the potential and the desire to evade. Uh, and we have uh, the giver who, I'd say, has the expectation, understands what can be done, but there's a lot of promise in this. It's, a, it's kind of a now scripture. There's work to be done now. And and so I think, we're, I think we should all see ourselves as the evader because I do believe it's in everyone's heart. If something bad happens, what do you want to do? Sometimes run away. Sometimes. And so if you're doing list management in a class, and I know a lot of folks listen to this or preparing and moderate a class or have a discussion group, you know, put up on your dry board or on your flip chart, you know, other words used for this to make it connect to today and the relationship with the, the giver. And I came up with some words, sideline, evade, opt out, back out, sick day, play hooky, take a pass, stand down, off the grid. In our discussion before we recorded, Sarah Nicholson, you said punt using a sports metaphor. Those all seem familiar. I think if you had a class, you could probably fill up a whole blackboard with it, a whole whiteboard with it. We all know exactly what that is, and we have so many colloquialisms to describe it. It's in our hearts. This This is something that makes us human the desire to run away. And I I did some uh, research with uh, CEOs and elected officials a few years ago, over 250. And without being asked, they all volunteered the fact that in a pinch, they probably would want to evade under certain circumstances. So I think we need to embrace that person and not be a critic. I don't think that we're being a critic of it, but I, it's in my heart, you know, just, just play out the fact pattern. So I think the relationship with uh, the giver is, there's the promise that the imagination, the promise for action now, the promise that if, if we are vigilant, if we see, if we look. You know, in Matthew, it's like, see? Jesus is like, see these people. Look what they're doing. Watch this. Jesus is watching people. Watch like me. You'll know what to do. You'll know what to do at some level, some impact. And I'm thinking back to um, <coughs> the ideas. Oh, oh, great, Zacchaeus says. I'm coming with you. I figured it out. And Jesus goes, no, go do it properly. Go do it properly. All these people work for you. There's a better way, a much more excellent way to do these things. Use your brain. Look around. Do what's proper. Treat people fairly. That's it. There's an exponential impact there as well. But I would really look forward to hearing from some of our listeners about it. if you did list management I'd like to know the other 500 words that we use to talk about evasion and those kind of lost opportunities. That's what I've got, Sarah.
1: Thank you. Um, I'll let that fold. I'm going to fold. Just, I'm going to pass. I'm just going to give it a pass. Um, So it's interesting to me that the giver entrusts this, whatever the, the talents are, to the receivers. Trust is is an interesting challenge, right? This is a large sum of money, and you'd have to feel fairly confident that this person could protect this amount of money or that they had some sort of actionable skill that would allow them to do something wonderful with this talent. So there's this level of trust and understanding that the giver might have about the receivers. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because I remember being offered something similar to this and and being told, just make something. Just do something with it. Take an action with it. Um, you know, when I was a younger child and somebody said to me, I'm going to give you some money. I want to see what you're going to do with it. And I was like, okay. and And it was interesting on what could I have done with it versus what I did do with it. And if your sense of relationship to the giver is not positive and is negative, as the third individual expounds, um, I'm wondering about what that limits you to do. And um, I'm thinking as a parent when I'm raising kids, and in the language I use, do my children know that I'm going to stand with them or do they fear that I'm going to judge what they're doing all the time? And as a parent, you're important. it's important to, to do that if they're doing something dangerous, if they're doing something that could be threatening to them. Or if they're doing something that's, that's hurtful to the dynamic of the family, you might be adjudicating behavior. But for the most part, it's about teaching them how to fly. It's about teaching them how to become independent, how to become that person who will reach for potential instead of a person that will feel squashed by the world and never reach potential. So I'm reflecting on all those things, and I'm thinking about how valuable it is to have a relationship with the giver. And and in that relationship are the, if you will, scaffolding elements that would enable you to do something dynamic versus not taking any action at all. And that led me down a different path of, or entreated me to consider the building of a relationship with the person that gives you everything. And falling back on my favorite Bible passage, which is the earth is the Lord's and everything they're in. Um, it makes me think about the value of understanding the giver of all things a little differently than the, you know, If I feel my, my giver is adjudicating me or is going to be judgmental. Then I'm less likely to take action because I'm afraid. And if, it makes me think about those conversations that start with fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And almost all of them are bad conversations when they start with fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Unless it's, we're gonna do this together, here are the things we should be watchful for, as in, we're preparing for a hurricane to come ashore in Tampa, Florida, and what are those things we should be watchful for as indicators for when to take the next action? Um, I'm thinking about building punch lists. I'm thinking about completing tasks. I'm thinking about moving toward um, something that might be safer versus something that would be unsafe. So in those cases, um, I think it's interesting to watch how fear, uncertainty, and doubt works on the decision-making process, and who poses that fear and uncertainty and doubt? It's a marketing ploy. The help I've fallen on, I can't get up approach. Um, and so I'm, I'm always cautious when I see, or see that particular marketing approach used in conversation because it usually means somebody's trying to get me to take an action based on fear. And that is counter to this story a little bit to me. So that leads me to my third question. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master, faithfulness seems to be the multiplier in this story. How does faithfulness work in this story, and how does the receiver of one talent demonstrate or not faithfulness? What are your thoughts,
2: John? Sarah, can I uh, start by talking about what you just finished with um, and say, you know, um, the, the question um, uh, about uh, where this master is coming from, does he trust, and you have to trust these givers, <clears throat> I, I, I start by saying uh, uh, yes. I mean, he does give them the money, but also no, right, because he diversifies his portfolio. He doesn't trust any one of them, you know, enough to give it all to any one of them. But maybe his motives are different. Maybe he wants them each to have a shot at it. You know, but assuming that he isn't, you know, working for their good in some way, he diversifies his portfolio, even as he trusts them uh, as a group. And uh, that pulls into a really important question with respect to this parable is, is the master the paradigm of, you know, divine behavior, or mm-hmm. is the master not, you know, the paradigm for divine behavior? So you you pulled me into that further with your fine reflection uh on that um and uh with respect to faithfulness uh in this story um there's definitely an emotional part of my faith and my understanding that's really pulling for the steward who has the least who buries it um uh i I want to say hey this guy's trying to be faithful too (laughs) let's acknowledge the faithfulness of the one who's afraid um, I just think that's where a lot of people are in the world, and at times, certainly me too, that we're afraid and we're trying to be faithful. I think this, this steward does what he does. So, see, if you if you don't see the master simply as the good ideal in this story, it, it, you might start to create a little space to, to, to have empathy for this third steward, not suggesting he's the paradigm for best behavior, but by golly. I think he is a paradigm for us or at least a big part of us. And it's not all bad. He, he, he is responding in fear. Um, and uh, I, I think we know what that uh, is like. I have a heart for him uh, and he doesn't go out and then just, you know, spend the money purposely. Um And uh, so Um, There are things he could have done that would have been worse. Now, that's me projecting my values onto the money uh, uh, and onto the the person there. But um, I I think that the third person is also a study in faithfulness under pressure and faithfulness in the face of fear. And if we don't see the master as a paradigm of God, then we, I think, have more space Uh, to to not judge his response to the third steward who buried it uh, as God's judgment. Um, So there's a scholar that you well may have encountered named William Herzog who says, yes, we've got this parable all wrong. We keep seeing God as the master in this story, and that's not where early Christians uh, would have been. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And so that, I think, opens my heart a bit to the third steward too. Now I don't think he's the paradigm of faithfulness but I do think he's um, an honest story of probably where we are more often than with the other two stewards in the story.
1: I I will say that um, there's some conversation um, specifically about usury for people in the title of Jesus' um, lifespan who would have remembered the instructions from the Leviticus that it directed them not to do anything with usury and, and how to, to multiply money. So the, the conversation about the first two might have been more objectionable than what the third um, receiver did. So I'm curious about that. Um, I'm thinking about, um, I'm also laying this against the backdrop of the economic upheaval that we went through not too long ago, and how there was a lot of money on the sidelines with people who had wealth that didn't move it into the marketplace and take any action out of fear. And the dynamic problem that occurred as a result of that was that liquidity in the economic marketplace wasn't there, and it kept the economy from expanding. So I'm, I'm curious about how that dynamic works against the backdrop of maybe that's part of what makes this system more valuable to all parties is having some that have the courage to move forward with investment and some that are reticent and hold back. So I'm I'm still thinking about that. Faithfulness for me also means how am I applying what I'm given within the circle of people I normally navigate? Am I helping? Am I observing and not participating? Am I in dialogue with them? um, Am I aware of what's going on in their world? And am, am I moving with them toward a positive versus moving with them toward a negative and figuring out what I can do to make their lives less difficult? And it's like kindness. Yesterday was uh, National Kindness Day, which I thought was a wonderful thought. Um, the idea of as you come alongside someone, if you come with kindness, it changes the perspective a little bit. and and I see this often with my son, if I approach with um, a harsh tone and a difficult um, point, he's less likely to bend toward me and more likely to bend away or I should say take no action. So it's a conversation about feeling safe. It's a conversation about feeling seen. It's a conversation about feeling heard. It's a conversation about working with the community or the enterprise where you are employed or what you're doing in your family structures that can accelerate kindness or can decelerate kindness. So I'm I'm thinking about faithfulness in the sense that it becomes that um, energy that moves things forward Don what do you think
0: well, I love the question faithfulness i uh, us say there's something static about saying good and faithful servant as if it is finished and uh, you know to distort good English I think it's about faithful ing put an ing on it are you faithful in your life because this is just active 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 uh, it's a state of change that's it's, it's moving forward. So I think it's not about being a rival. It's your faithfulness in everything that you do to distort the language. I, I had a couple questions that came up. I know they probably can't be answered today. But one is, John, you made me think about this in your comments. The it's It's not – I wonder if it's important that this parable makes it very clear that it wasn't protected, it was lessened by an action. That there's, there's a line where it's like, no harm was done, and I, I feel like the parable points out harm was done. If, if, the, if there was an option to protect, put it in the soil and let it be, I don't think that's the, me- I think the message is it's negative equity. You know, it's not that I protect, it's like the, all things in it, in the world, all things created, all things given, are lesser because of you. So it's not, it went to zero, or it's the same as it was. It's not. It's less. And, I, I'm just, and I'll throw that out for comments, if you like, when I go through this. But I'm just curious that that, how important that is. It's not, oh, I'm not any worse off. The world and all that's in it is worse off. It's negative equity. So I, I'm just curious about you, your folks' thought on that. And I was also thinking about portfolio managers today and, 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 and venture capitalists, and we always jump to, you know, well, 10X, 12X return, and you exit and you make money. It's like that's actually not how it works. So, Sarah, all of this is a bit about tangibility in the 21st, 22nd century and that, but, uh, you know, portfolio managers have to, and I've, I have a chance to talk with them, and, you know, the what, the analysis, the imagination for them really matters. The what, the why, the how, the dynamics, changing markets, it's all faithfully through what they're doing with that portfolio. It's not like if I put money here, we're going to have 10x return.
2: It's not it at all.
0: The intimacy with what needs to be done, the understanding, the hard work, the insights, the scene. And it's so amazing kind of going back to transformation of a piece of silver in the earth uh, turned into a coin or whatever the transformation is, You know, when it really works out well for a portfolio manager, you know what they call it? It's over 10X. It's a mystical creature. They call it a unicorn. But what the portfolio manager does with the workforce, the idea, the patent, how it's activated, the faithfully, there's not even a real creature that can describe how transformed it is. It's not a horse. It's not a goat. It's not a piece of silver, it's a unicorn. And that is actually a global statement about the transformation that takes place. So, you know, going along with Jesus saying, consider investments, that's how far it could go. Uh, And in terms of faithfully, uh, you know, going back to the scriptures, I commend to you punting and taking a pass. Moses, no thank you, no thank you. I commend you, Jonah, not only no thank you, but you're not doing it the way I think you should. I know what should be done at Nineveh, but you're not going to do it my way. I know the mind of God. No, thank you. You know, here's human beings all through scripture. No, thank you. But I think with Jonah, there's the idea of like, I know better. I know the mind of God, or I fear God. Therefore, I'm going to create negative equity. You know, Jonah's like, and hey, he's even mad at the end of that book, right? He's like, he didn't do it my way. Uh, I think there's a connection here with it's thinking we know the mind of God when our job is to activate these things. So, you know, what is it in terms of faithfulness? I think faithfulness is for any portfolio manager in faithfully. It's to, we have a job to evaluate, to see a line of sight, a field of vision, look, engage, see, you'll know what to do. You'll know what to do. Uh, know the ecosystem with it you're dealing. Uh, understand what you're asked to do. Uh, and if you don't invest, I think there's something really intimate about our lives. If if you don't engage in that kind of faithfully that transformation, you know that unicorns are real, that kind of thing, you don't see the world. You're not alive. All things are God's and all things in it, and you can create negative equity. But if you don't do it, you're not really engaging. You're not, something like you're not alive. Aren't you living? Don't you see? No, thank you. It's like, I think this is taking a pass on any you living. <laughs> I think you just go, and that ain't living. If you try it you work, you're going to see the people, you're going to see what can take place, and you can use your head, John, to your point, as a part of the bigger portfolio. And I don't feel intimidated anymore. I used to about it. That's a lot of responsibility, but in portfolio management, the way Jesus is saying it is, there's a piece for you. There's a job for you. There might be 20 million people doing faithfully, but this promise is what you can do. You can get your little head up, get your noggin up, look and meditate on what's going along, and that's the discipline of life. So that's what I've got, and I see we have – you know, two, three minutes left just in case there's any follow ups needed. So let's go back around and see if there's any
2: tidying up or new ideas, folks. John, anything from you? <clears throat> well, I, I, uh, I, I, let me see if I can say three things. One is to say, um, I do think that this story is the story Jesus gave us as Matthew remembers it. That encourages us to be, um, uh, and I don't want to say risk-taking, uh, but I do think it calls for us to be um, making good use of every opportunity. It calls for us to be making good use of even the smallest or the largest opportunity. I think the story is teaching us that. I, I, the, sec- the second thing I want to say is I think that we have to be careful not to just simply assume as a master is the God figure in the story. This line, you know, in verse 29, this the master speaking. It's a part of what the master says at the end. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. One of the uh, fellows in the church uh, I shared as we were looking at the text yesterday turned and said to me at the end of that, well, that's not the gospel. (laughs) He said, that's just the rich get richer. Uh, You know, he's right. Uh, and so I think we have to be careful not to just assume that the master is God, because he's not talking like Jesus said the character of God was, you know, in terms of what he's saying there. Um, and then the third thing I'd say is there's, there's um, uh, two phrases at least from this text that um, the church has pulled out liturgically and also in practical use, all right, that oftentimes, I think, across history, people don't realize are coming from this story. Uh, the first is the line in the first uh, the, the, uh, verse 15. To each one according to his ability. To each according to their ability. If you quote that to folks, I think a good number of them would say, Yeah, that's in the Bible somewhere, uh, but I'm not sure, but it's just terrible. is where it's coming from. To each, you, could, you could do a whole Sunday school class just on that phrase. To each according to his ability. Do we believe that? Do we think that's gospel? You know, what is that teaching us? And the second phrase is more liturgically used, and it's the line has said, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. That's used in memorial and funeral services a lot. And it's even condensed into, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Across denominations, across traditions. And people don't always, and perhaps often, remember, that's being drawn from this story. Um, and we, we do hear that, and we do tend to think, oh, that's gospel. That's, that's the good news, isn't it? But it's coming from the mouth of the master in this parable. And so I'm going to keep using it, but, but we should be careful in our listening to it uh, to, to be sure we're hearing it in the context of gospel.
0: Thank you. Sarah, any, any last words for us today?
1: It's a Wonderful Life by Frank Capra. I recommend that because I think it speaks to the way we invest in each other and the way we might not. It depends on whether you follow Mr. Potter or you follow the Bailey Savings and Loan. Um, so for me, that's a, a, a holiday favorite to watch but it also speaks to the value of a life well invested. And in, we get to see that played out when Clarence and, uh, and, and the young Bailey explore his life and what it would have been like had he not been in the right place at the right time so many times to help those around him. And I think we often fail to see how the small encouragement the presence alongside the statement of belief or faith in each other can be the ingredient, the single one ingredient, that might be a straw that tips the, if you will, um, proverbial camel in the right direction. So I I commend that to you um, with high recommendation as we look toward Advent.
0: Thank you, Sarah. And uh, one thing just came to mind. And this is be my thinking for the day. And the about no thank you for taking a pass. And uh, now the echo of Jesus in the garden is coming to me. Uh, riding through the gate, even. He's going to ride through no matter what. So uh, this, is that, this is that Christ who will be facing the rest and trial going forward and says, you know, in one of the Gospels, you know, if this cup can pass from me. There's no, no thank you in that. Well, uh, for folks listening in, Palmesea Presbyterian Church that makes this podcast possible is at 3501 West San Jose in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacea.org. That's P A L M A C E I A.org. We always commend that site to you because, well, there's John Devil Voice and his fine sermons, prayers, other pastors and sermons, outstanding music meditations, discussions of lectionary, disagreements about lectionary, uh, and many more things. Uh, so we always commend that site to you. I hope I get that right, John, since we have the senior pastor with us. Is that a, is that a fair
2: view of what, what's there? It's, uh, it's certainly been my experience, Don, but in humility, uh, it, it, you know, it, it makes me somewhat embarrassed to hear you say it. But I appreciate your saying it. I'll tell you, it's, uh, um, I'm very grateful Um, To be a part of that good and gracious community And um, I'm very grateful through the ministry of this podcast To be connected with so other many good communities of faith And approaching the scripture Thank you,
0: and uh, uh, oh, I have good news I may double check on this, you'll see this done live John, devil voice, we are assuming you're going to be with us again next week Is that true?
2: Yeah, to quote Nathan to David, I am the man God, you, to me. So, uh, you enjoy <laughs>
0: having John as a part of this team. We don't operate without a net. I, I speak for my fellow layperson, Sarah Nicholson. We only do this on condition. There's a seminarian or pastor with us, so John is also our safety net. So you'll get John next week uh, with another great passage. So we look forward to that, and you're always welcome,
2: and we will see you next time.